So hello and welcome back to episode four of the Citizenship Podcast. Today we will be talking about some of Gellner's theories of nationalism and nationalist sentiment in our home countries. So our first question is, what challenges do Gellner's ideas present for immigrants in your country? Who is allowed in and should they be allowed to stay permanently or obtain citizenship? I think for this topic specifically, Austria is uh, quite an, an interesting case to start with because Austria um, really intensely actually kind of lifts this idea that, that no nation should have to include a non-national. And, and we do it not quite as openly hostile, although that's also increasing, but just through the, the lawful criteria of immigration, which are actually quite strict. And it's also usually visible in these attitudes that people have toward that the people have connected to socialism towards immigrants with people kind of fearing that immigrants will come and leech off the system without ever having contributed to things like for example the healthcare system which obviously lives off collective contributions and then yeah socialist healthcare um and it's this this kind of socialism topic is especially politically instrumentalized in elections but different from from other countries cases like it's not socialism that's usually kind of criticized, it's rather in order for socialism to function, we have to kick all the non-Austrians out and non-Austrian is often along racial and ethnic lines. And, and also kind of the rules of immigration also show it when it comes to economic standing. So we require a lot of money from people to immigrate so that they wouldn't put any strain on the social system. And beyond economics and socialism, it's, it's, it's values that is the kind of central hot topic where it's like a kind of the strong claim to this Austrian high culture that is left over from imperialism and that's now being endangered by this heterogeneity of the Austrian society with immigration happening and not everybody being white and Christian. And especially that's when it comes to kind of Roman Catholicism, which is the dominant religion here. And that's obviously not a very tolerant religion versus, versus kind of Muslim immigration. Um, and then you have the politically instrumentalized idea of the political Islam, which is a danger to all of us. Um, so yeah, yeah, Austria might not be as openly hostile, although I'd, I'd also probably start challenging that. Um, but the underlying ideas for migration, immigration, and citizenship here do have some hostility in them. So Hungary, very much uh, like like Caroline mentioned in Austria, does have. Uh, some, somewhat of a negative history in terms of uh, what kind of people they really allow into the country and allow to stay in the country. Though I do think, um, unlike uh, Austria-Hungary, is definitely a bit more aggressive about it. Um, Hungary has always had very uh, conservative, uh, conservative views, very, very religious views. So already anyone who is um, from any country who is a different religion, so Muslim or or anything like that is typically not as well accepted into Hungary. Either, yes, uh, like, like Caroline, the, Hungary has a very long and strenuous uh, Im immigration process to uh, be nat naturalized and the, the amount of time and amount of money and work it takes for someone like typically who is not not from any surrounding European areas mostly, like even people from the United States, it takes significantly longer to get a Hungarian citizenship. Um, 
And Hungary even has in place certain uh, uh, le- legal assistance uh, for people if they have, if they are two Hungarians who have Hungarian children. So they very much have mentioned in in the past and now how they want to uh, regrow the Hungarian population since so many Hungarians uh, after Soviet rule left Hungary either to escape Soviet rule or uh, because uh, pay in Hungary has never been as great or they would normally leave to get um, a, a better financial situation. So the situation is very much that Hungary wants to have more full-blooded Hungarians and is very very picky when it comes to allowing uh, people in from anywhere in the world uh, most of the time. Um, In terms of Nepal, um, as I've said uh, many times before, uh, Nepal is really a migrant sending country. So the question about who is allowed in um, is very much of an issue in in Nepal. But uh, for, for the long term, I think uh, a population that we can talk about are uh, are expats um, who you know work in, in, in the country, who also have uh, their own community and their own associations. Um, so these these expats, I think, for the most part, they enjoy sort of uh, a Nepali hospitality. Um, I was thinking of this this Nepali saying which says. Uh, Atiti Devo Bawa, which means basically that that guests are gods, which I think is basically um, the sort of sentiment that Nepali people have towards towards these expats who come to Nepal from from all over the world. Um, but um, other than that, I have to say that the Nep- the Indian population in Nepal is is. Uh, also at issue and um, there's a lot of sort of hostility between the Indian population in Nepal and the Nepali population and this is sort of triggered by um, different events uh, that has happened in the past um, which has led to sort of different uh, nationalist sentiment um, within the Nepali population. Yeah, so I think in the U.S. there's a lot to talk about when we discuss nations and nationalism. So I think for immigrants coming into the U.S. this does pose a really big challenge because there are strong ideas of what it means to be a true American or a real American. And I also see this in my citizenship class. This is really interesting because in order to even become a citizen of the U.S., you really have to be willing, like, and even this language is really expressed when people go to take their citizenship test. You have to be willing to bear arms for the U.S., you have to be willing to fight in the military, you really have to be willing to sacrifice your life, essentially, for the country. You have to take this oath of allegiance that basically says that you're giving up your associations with other countries that you used to belong to, and you're pledging your allegiance to the U.S. and to the U.S. only. So I think we do have these really strong ideas of Americanism, and I think this also plays out in the social fabric too. And I think, of course, (laughs) what we really saw about this and what could come to anyone's mind when you think about nationalism in the US is under the Trump administration, there were these really strong ideas of who is American and who's not American. And even some people who had been here for years 
having caused any issues, who had been living here peacefully, were deported for no reason under the Trump administration under the zero tolerance policy. So I think we can really see this playing out in the US in multiple different ways. I also think, because you talk, talked about like um, allegiance now and then having to swear that you are associated with this country and only this country now, this is also kind of a kind of the sibling of this this whole sentiment of integration that is kind of the holy grail of, of citizenship, I feel like. Um, it, it's often measured by should this person be a citizen? Should they be allowed to stay even, even if they're not a citizen, just residence permits? Are they well integrated? And then it's what raises this whole question of which values do we consider integrated and stuff like that. So yeah, I feel like the, all of these ideas kind of circle around the same idea of how much sameness can we tolerate, like, can, can, do we want and how much uh, diversity can we tolerate but being, still being one nation? And then obviously how much is integration necessary? I think this is a really broad and very interesting topic actually. <laughs> Yeah, I think also in the US, this is a really important question because at the end of the day, we are a country of immigrants, but also like I think we're seeing this sort of like resurgence of these ideals of Americanism, even though it's really hard to say like what is an American because there's no real ethnic identity associated with being American. So I think it's also this balance of how much diversity can we tolerate while still keeping this national identity. Yeah, there's a lot of this, do we recognize somebody else as a national? And then self-description as well. But yeah, I feel like also in the US, that's a strong, like, do other people see me as American? And then I might be American, but just seeing myself as American won't just make me American. I think that's kind of an interesting topic to bring up because in Hungary, it is very, very difficult. If you look basically at anything like uh, that, that is not like a typical, like a white person, you are immediately questioned if you don't speak, uh, if you speak with some sort of accent. It is very difficult in Hungary to be viewed as a Hungarian if you're not actually nat nationally born. Even, uh, you know, my, my mother who went through this whole long process of getting her Hungarian citizenship because of how long and how strenuous of a process uh, it was, she does consider herself Hungarian because of all the work that she put into it. However, she is whenever even we go to stores or marketplaces or restaurants and even though her Hungarian is actually better than my father and I's uh, it is hard for her to be viewed as a Hungarian because of the way that she looks and the slight accent she has but also I think you still have it possibly easier or I would have it easier moving to Hungary than maybe some other people because obviously like, I'm white so I would still pass for Hungarian without any issue. Meanwhile, people of color really do have a challenge. And in Austria, it's still this really strong idea of you're not white as a sheet. Where are you from? But no, like, where are you really from? Yes, that is definitely one of the biggest things. If you're white, you definitely have an advantage. Um, and, and as I mentioned before in one of our last podcasts, the, uh, uh, the immigration, the citizenship process in Hungary can take anywhere from one year to up to eight years. So if you're even just with your skin color, it may take only a year or two. Well, if you're, you know, from uh, the, the Middle East or if you're from Africa or any, anything like that, if you have any sort of skin color that isn't white, white, it, you could, it could take six to eight years. And even then they may not accept you. 
Yeah, so coming into that, we're also going to talk about another question, which is, is there a feeling of nationalist sentiment provoked by the presence of migrants in your country, which I think is really related to this? Um, for Austria, I would say definitely yes. Um, it was kind of visible with this wave of refugees that happened in 2015. And already the way I kind of said wave of refugees says a lot about how it was portrayed here. This, this wave of other cultures overrunning our good old Austrian culture triggered a lot of, first of all, nationalist, well, anti-immigration sentiment, but also nationalist sentiment, which I wouldn't consider exactly the same because there was a lot of hostility, but there was also just a really huge wave of um, promoting Austrianness without talking about anything else. And that was seen as superior to hating immigrants. It's you hate immigrants, you're a bad person. But by saying you love Austrians more than anything else, that's fine. Um, and, and a lot of this was obviously centered around Christian values because um, Austria is it's, it's a strongly Catholic country. Um, and, and if you look at an, exam at an example of that that's discussed every single year, it's Christmas. Should Christmas still be a thing in schools? Should Christmas even be allowed to be talked about in schools? Because obviously now you have classes where the majority of people is not Christian and not even atheist, but actively following religions that don't celebrate Christmas. On the other hand, Austria celebrates Christmas and has always done it. And a lot of people do it, even though they are not strongly religious. It's, it's almost more of a cultural festival at this point. But this is always a topic where it's like, it's like, does, does Chris, is our nationalism just rooted in religion? Is there more to it? Um, Austria, I feel like, really struggles to find itself for during the last few years where we got increasing migration. We've had waves of migration before, but it was primarily European and primarily also Christian. And now we, for the first time, are faced with a strongly a kind of different immigrant population. And we kind of struggle to find who we are and who we want to be in relation to, if we go academic, to the other that is now very much part of the, the here and now. So that's very interesting lately. Yeah, I definitely, uh, in Hungary, it is very much kind of like uh, Caroline explained, and definitely the wave, uh, the refugees, the refugee uh, crisis that happened in 2016 as as so-called by Hungarians as a labeled as a crisis was definitely really showed how Hungary felt about uh, all of this as well and Hungary was one of the uh, was was the country where when the European Union said okay all of our countries will take in this many refugees and we will provide this much Hungary said no they flat out, refused to take uh, uh, any any more than you know the certain number of refugees who who had already uh, entered through Hungarian borders, and they became very strict with. They had um, they had a wall up uh, around their borders, uh, so that and many refugees uh, were just simply weren't allowed in, um, and that that definitely did uh, bring up a whole new conversation of like. You know, uh, Hungarian uh, nationalism, and actually, after uh, the whole uh, refugee crisis that happened, um, a new, not not necessarily a law, but but um, sort of an amendment was passed, where uh, which was encouraging Hungarian women to stay and have more children, because if you had uh, three or more children, you would actually get a. a uh, more more of a deduction the more children you have on your taxes so they were actually encouraging uh, Hungarians to have more Hungarian babies and 
uh, while at the same time refusing to let uh, any refugees in. Yeah, in terms of, of uh, refugees in Nepal, I think because Nepal is a very sort of neutral country, I think uh, the the refugees, uh, there are many refugee population at one point in Nepal coming from countries like Bhutan, um, Tibet, um, India, Myanmar and countries like like that and although it was not there, Nepal isn't their sort of final destination, it was only sort of a gateway into other countries, I, I would say that um, there wasn't much hostility towards refugees, there isn't much hostility towards the refugee population uh, currently in Nepal. But um, other than that, I wouldn't really say uh, uh, um, so hostility provoked by um, by migrants, but there have been many events that have led to this anti-India sentiment among Nepali people, which sort of also led to anti, sort of, um, you know, hostility against um, Indian people living in Nepal, living in Nepal, but also um, hostility around the sort of uh, the people living near the border. Um, near the India-Nepal borders um, and the sort of events in Bangladesh have been, have been uh, sort of very um, political um, stuff like blockades which happened two years ago there was a border dispute that happened just a year ago and and these sort of uh, sort of problems that, uh, that India and Nepal are sort of um, getting into have led to this very anti-India sentiment around a lot of Nepalese, which has uh, affected uh, the, the Indian population in Nepal, but also the, uh, the people living around the border, which to some Nepali people uh, make them sort of more aligned to the Indian side, which is um, something interesting. All right, so also there's a lot to talk about this with the U.S. too, obviously. And I think that, especially depending on where you are, because I think this is also a regional thing to a certain extent, people do feel really threatened by the presence of migrants and by the presence of immigrants here. And it leads to this feeling of nationalist sentiment. Even I can give a good example of this. Just two days ago, I was at a grocery store and I looked over, there was a house like right in front of the grocery store. And right, like, facing this grocery store, which was kind of like this um, natural food store that may attract, like, a more progressive, so to speak, like, clientele. And they had this big sign that says, if the American flag offends you, I'll help you pack. And I think this kind of really, like, speaks to how people really feel about this idea of Americanness. And I think people do feel really threatened by migrants here. Like, another good example of this is... Sometimes in the area where I live, which is really close to Alabama, which is kind of the deep south, and it's really conservative here, if I go into the grocery store and even speak Spanish with my grandma, like, people can stare at us. And I think yeah, there are, like, these really clear-cut ideas of who's American and who's not, going back to what we talked to earlier. And I think even now, under the Biden administration, if you look at the far right in the U.S., people do feel really threatened by what they see as this wave of migrants coming in to the border. 
because Biden has raised the refugee cap now to 62,500, which is an increase over Trump's 15,000. So people are seeing this and they're saying, no, like we can't take these people, like we don't want these people. And there's this really, I think, strong reaction from the far right in the US. So yeah, coming back to what we tied in earlier, I think this really relates to Gellner's theory of what it means to be a part of the nation and theories of nationalism. All right, so that is going to be all for our fourth episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back with one final episode on prejudice. Well done.